Hi everyone, very good evening to you and um, let's pray now. Father, thank you for this time to look at your word. Thank you for these challenging letters to the churches in Revelation. Please um, help us as we look at this now to, uh, to, to hear what you're saying to us and um, to, by your spirit, to be changed on the inside, in our hearts and in our lives so that we're able to live for you in all that we're doing. Amen. Well, cha uh, Revelation chapter 2 verses 12 to 17 is what we're looking at. Um, I'm about to tell you what is apparently the funniest religious joke available, according to a survey a few years ago. Okay, so it doesn't get any funnier than this. Let me just tell you that in advance so we can all be clear before we get to the end of it. It goes like this. Once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump, I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. He, I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What type? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die heretic. And I pushed him over the edge of the bridge. I did warn you. But the point there is Christians seem to have a way of falling out with one another. The very fact that you can believe that there is a denomination or a way of dividing um, two groups of Christians between each other based on those kinds of lines reminds us that um, we are very good at finding differences and dividing over them. And the question is, is that a good thing or not? Should we tolerate differences or should we divide over them? When do we unite and when do we separate? That is the issue that Jesus begins to address in these two central letters in, um, to the seven churches at the beginning of Revelation. Uh, John's going to be preaching next week, and uh, John Kennedy, he's going to help us with Thyatira, which is part two, kind of on a similar theme, but part one is set in Pergamum. And Pergamum was another city in what is now Turkey, and it was the seat of emperor worship, the Roman state religion. It's the equivalent of Mecca today for Islam. And uh, if you were a visitor to Pergamon, you would see a huge altar to Zeus that looks like a throne, uh, which may be why um, in verse 13, if you look, uh, Jesus says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. And remember last week we heard about the church in Smyrna which was going to suffer persecution. And they were told not to be afraid and to be faithful, even in the midst of all that was happening to them. But here now is a church which has already suffered. And if you look verse uh, 13 again, uh, this guy Antipas has even been put to death 
for his faith. And, and look what Jesus says. You have uh, you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even when this guy was killed. So they have been through the mill. They've suffered. It's been really tough for them. So it sounds like the church is doing um, really well. Um, and, um, uh, you know, there, there they are and they're, they're keeping going. But imagine how easy it would be for, for everyone when this guy Antipas was, um, was being killed. Imagine how easy it would have been for everyone to scatter and hide in fear when um, someone in the church was killed for being a Christian. But they didn't. They didn't do that. They, they didn't give in. They carried on. They carried on meeting. They carried on trusting in Jesus. They stayed faithful to him. And so Jesus says, fantastic. But I have a few things against you. Verse 14. And uh, I think it's probably fair to say in, in these verses, we hear a slightly different side uh, to Jesus from the one we might normally associate with him. So, you know, so far, he said, uh, you Ephesians, chapter two, verses one to seven, you Ephesians, you know, you're great on doctrine and Bible teaching, but you've lost your first love. You know, love matters. And I think in our culture today, we, you know, that, that's a sort of message that's easy to hear. Kind of go, oh, yeah, you know, love matters. Really important. Uh, last week, um, we, we, we heard, you know, you are suffering and you're going to suffer more. Keep going because of who I am. I know what it means to suffer because I have suffered. I have overcome death. And again, you know, that's a positive message to hear when you're up against it and you're suffering. So, you know, so far, so good. And it's sort of warm and reassuring to hear these things. But actually, the tone in this letter is rather different, isn't it? Uh, you have people who hold to the teaching of Balaam, verse 14. You have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. This isn't friendly encouraging warm and fuzzy this is saying uh, something in, in the 21st century sounds actually rather out of place he's saying you are too tolerant or um, of of other viewpoints you know tolerance in these uh, days is the supreme virtue isn't it in fact we've gone beyond tolerance to the point where it's not enough just to accept everyone you've got to affirm them positively and publicly or your silence is taken as hatred or phobia of some kind so you know unless you wear the rainbow lanyard at work or unless you change your profile picture on social media you must be homophobic that must that would be one example but, but but far from affirming everyone and saying it's just a difference of opinion jesus says no i have this against you you are putting up with people who are teaching false things in your midst and this uh, this needs to stop and so really, in these verses, there is one main thing to see uh, about what Jesus says here. And here it is. It's this. False teaching must be dealt with urgently. False teaching must be dealt with urgently. OK, that's the one main thing to see. So how do we see that here? Verse 14. Have a look at that. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Now, who was Balaam? Uh, let's remind ourselves. If you've been reading the uh, Old Testament readings over the last uh, couple of months, uh, we did encounter Balaam. And in fact, there were a couple of videos about uh, him in the thoughts of the day. Uh, he's the prophet with the donkey, the talking donkey. In fact, that was the one we did. If you, if you want to go and watch it and you haven't seen it, there's the one with Shrek 
um, in it on, on YouTube. Um, Balak was the king of Moab and uh, Moab, the enemies of Israel. And uh, Balak summoned Balaam to go and curse Israel so that great harm would come to Israel. And so Balaam goes off and he's humiliated, first of all, by his donkey who talks to him uh, famously and kind of sits down and sees the angel of the Lord and won't uh, let him go to where he's going. And then he's humiliated as every time he opens his mouth to pronounce a curse on Israel, uh, out of his mouth instead of the curse comes a blessing. And it seems that when that doesn't work, Balaam tells Balak to try enticing the Israelites with Moabite women. And that's what's going on in Numbers 25. That's what Ruth read for us, the, um, the first reading that we heard, which comes straight after the 22 to 24 in Numbers, which is the sort of donkey prophecy episode, Balaam. Then chapter 25. Now, it's not immediately clear in that chapter that Balaam's got anything to do with it. But chapter 31, verse 16 spells out that what happens in chapter 25 is caused by Balaam leading uh, the people of Israel astray. So are you with me so far? So what I was saying was that uh, chapter 2 verse 14 is um, uh, talking about Numbers 25 and uh, you've got people who are doing the same kind of thing. Um, they are teaching false things which are leading people into idolatry and into sexual immorality. And Jesus says, uh, you've got to stop tolerating this. You've got to repent. It's not on. And it's striking to see what a priority this is for Jesus. You know, when a church has been um, facing persecution and one of their members has been killed, you can imagine that that would put things in perspective. Um, you know, who's on... Uh, coffee or doing the reading or you know doing whatever job it is on the rotor would be far less important who's, who's chairing some committee wouldn't uh, matter so much but um uh, that you know that that is what happens when uh, you're up against this stuff that had huge significance before suddenly loses that and it would be easy to think um you know when you know when, when you're putting aside all those sort of trivial differences it would also easy be to, to, to think that this is the time when disagreements among christians need to be ignored and put aside you know come on just unite just forget all your nonsense about doctrine and about arguments over who says what and um uh, you know unite against the, this external threat but the thing is jesus is saying even though you've been under pressure and even though um you've got the threat of persecution you've still got to um there are still some things which are more important even than that false teaching that leads people into sexual immorality or idolatry is really serious for the church so serious that jesus says if you look that he will come with the sword and destroy them if they don't deal with it that's the second time he's mentioned his sword in this letter. Look at, look at verse 12. It's there as well. Um, he has a sharp, double-edged sword. And this sword is all about justice. And to begin with, they would probably have thought he was reminding them that he was the one who's in charge. And the, the city magistrates of Pergamon would have talked about how bearing the sword, in, um, you know, they would have talked about bearing the sword in justice. And, and Jesus is saying he's in charge of them he's in charge of the city magistrates as well so don't be afraid 
But now, having said, I bear the swords, and you know, they're, they're, they're kind of thinking, yeah, great, Jesus, you're the boss, and not the people, not the city magistrates in Pergamum. Now he's turning that same sword on the church itself because they're tolerating false teaching. Do you see? So he's saying it's really important. So, okay, what kind of thing are we talking about here? What does this mean today in the, in the 21st century? In, in one sense, it's hard to know exactly. Um, for example, what did the Nicolaitans teach? Um, we, we don't know. We don't really know who these people were. They're just going to mention here. We don't know much about them otherwise. We can only really speculate. Um, but maybe, given the, the link to, to Balak and Balaam, maybe they were teaching false things about God and false things that led the people into sexual immorality. Later in the history of the church, there are some serious heresies where people denied that Jesus was God or that he truly became a man. And the reason that that matters is because if you teach that God is fundamentally different from who he actually is, uh, then you don't actually know him. Um, so um, Muslims and Jehovah's Witnesses, are, we, we can't call them Christians because they teach God is one but the, and that Jesus is not God. They're worshipping a different God. You know, the God of Islam is a lonely monad. Uh, we call you know, a sort of uh, not triune, as Christians believe, but just a single person, single God who spends eternity in his own company. The Christian God is one God in three persons, loving one another for eternity. That love then overflows into the world that's being created by God the Father through the Son in the power of the Spirit. And the thing is, those two things both can't be right at the same time. Do you see? It has to be one or the other. But also, it's not just a matter of opinion. Um, it's, uh, it, you either know God or you don't know him, or you're talking about a different God. Um, false teaching can also cover things like how we're saved. So if someone starts teaching that you're only saved if you do something extra, like being baptised in a particular way and only those Christians are saved and everyone else isn't, then that is um, uh, false teaching, isn't it? And then, you know, when, you know when, you're, when you're talking about being rescued from the judgment that you deserve, you can't just say, well, you know, that's your opinion and not everyone agrees, but that's okay. Um, because you're talking about something which results in a different destination, a different way. You know, if you're, if you're trying to go to Scotland and one person says, go north on the A1, and another person says, go southwest on the A303, then uh, you can't just say, well, isn't it, isn't it lovely how we all have different perspectives on how to get to Scotland? Um, and uh, you, one way is going to take you to Scotland, the other way is going to take you to Cornwall. They can't both be right. So it doesn't work if you have fundamental differences in how people are saved from God's judgment, even if you're being persecuted and even if you've got lots of external problems in your situation or your suffering, though these things still matter. Do you see? Um, so maybe... Some of the teaching, the idolatry side of it, was, had that in mind. He, Jesus, though, seems particularly concerned about them tolerating false teaching, which concerns sexual immorality, which in the case of Balaam and Balak seemed to have something to do with sexual promiscuity or permissiveness. Um, 
what's the equivalent today? The equivalent would be saying that any sexual activity whatsoever is fine as long as it's between consenting adults. And it sounds really liberating to, to say that, but it's not how God has set things up in his world. Um, you know, why, why is this so important then? Why does Jesus come down on them for, for being tolerant of this? Why does he think it matters? Well, it matters because of how God has designed uh, sex and marriage. And if you take marriage, first of all, God intends the union of marriage to be a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. We see that in Ephesians chapter five. It's a, a relationship where two different people come together to complement each other in lifelong covenantal commitment, just like God has done to us. And if you, if you remove that covenant commitment or you make it between two men or two women, or you say that marriage isn't all that important as long as you're committed to each other, you're saying things about the relationship between Christ and the church that God has not said. So this then becomes a salvation thing. So it matters how we relate um, to one another. It matters how we conduct our relationships with one another. Not just going with the world's way, but going with God's way and, um, and, and listening to him on that. It's not just a random rule. It's a salvation thing. And to teach, to teach that these things don't matter, to teach that publicly, even when you're suffering and even when you're being persecuted, no, th- Jesus is saying, no, this is still really significant this is false teaching when that happens and that's why today in the national church and all the conversations going on for example in the church of england about you know whether we should allow same-sex weddings and all that kind of thing uh, we can't just say oh it doesn't really matter uh, jesus himself is clear isn't he um sexual immorality is something that that, that gets to, straight to the heart of the gospel because of what it teaches us about the relationship between Christ and the church. Now, this is not to say that this won't be deeply challenging. It may be challenging for us. It may be painful for us. It may require of us that we, we repent of things and that we, we stop living in a certain way. Uh, it will be challenging for us whether we're married or single, whether we're attracted to people of the same sex or the opposite sex, because everyone in different ways is called to faithfulness of different kinds and of course we need to remember as we as we think about this Jesus is talking here about false teaching in particular that's what he's really getting at he's not getting at the fact that individual Christians might struggle with these things uh, in the sense that it's still true Jesus died for sinners and we, we can go wrong both in what we believe about God and in what we do and we can trust in Jesus and we can be forgiven. And it's really important to remember that and to say that to one another, even while we say publicly, it's really important to be clear on these things. We're not saying if, if we sin or we fall short in these areas, there is no forgiveness. Um, so either in terms of our doctrine, you know, do you need to be able to explain the doctrine of the Trinity in order to be a real Christian? Of course, well, you, know, you don't need to be able to sort of articulate it and, and explain exactly how God is one and God is three. And if you can't, uh, you know, three persons, one, one God, you, you can't, you don't have to be able to um, explain all that in, in infinite detail in order to be a Christian. You just need to trust Jesus, but you can't then teach publicly about these things um, and, and uh, lead people astray. 
That is what Jesus is saying here. And it's the same if, if we struggle with sexual immorality in different ways. We all will do that. We, will, we all will struggle in different ways with these things. Jesus died for sinners. And there's a difference between honest struggling and publicly teaching that these things are fine when they're not. Now, we might want to sort of um, tease that out a bit more in the Q&A afterwards and, and think about the implications of that so we're clear what we mean. But do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying address false teaching urgently that is the point but having also having said all that we need to remember what we heard uh, in the first letter um, the, the letter written to the ephesians and remember these churches are hearing all these letters they're hearing the one that's sort of designed for them but they're also hearing the rest of them because they, here they are they're all together bunched up together and they get to hear all of them you know there was the church um, chapter 2 verses 1 to 7 that was great at highlighting false teaching and getting rid of it but had lost their first love. So Ephesus and Pergamum are two kind of equally dangerous extremes that will lead the church to extinction. And somewhere in the middle is where we need to be, not tolerating serious false teaching on God and salvation and sin, but on the other hand, being able to tolerate other things that aren't so serious, things that the Bible doesn't pronounce so clearly about, or that aren't issues of salvation uh, we might differ for example on whether children should be baptized now i think there are good reasons to do that in the bible but others don't see that in the bible and yet there are people who take the bible equally seriously we might di differ on how old the world is whether it was created in six days again if you want to explore some of these things in the q a uh, not in that we're going to have a massive debate on the age of the world but more about the difference between you know, what issues are serious and uh, what issues are um, things that we can uh, unite over. So the point is, we need to get the line straight between not, not um, being like those in Ephesus who shot down any view that didn't fit, um, and not being like those in Pergamon who says anything goes, it doesn't matter what you do. Do you see? We need to be urgent, we need to be careful in how we apply this, or else the world's best religious joke will become the church's worst nightmare. So let me uh, lead us in prayer as we, and then I'll hand back to Stephen. Father, thank you for sustaining us. Thank you for this time to look at your words, this challenge to take false teaching seriously. Help us as we um, think about this and as we continue to think about it next week, Help us to, to really reflect on um, what uh, this means for us. Help us in the Q&A later to tease out some of the, the, the nitty-gritty of what this looks like today. Um, help us to, be, to both take false teaching seriously, not to, um, to, to, to put up with it in our midst and in the wider church, to, to, to stand firm, but also to do so with love and not to lose our first love, as, as we saw before as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.